Welcome to podcast 173. And Farmer Phil and I are squatting over the Wiggly Pond. The trouble is, I think that a chocolate dog has been through the Wiggly Pond at this point. In the background, you can hear the chickens, the chooks. And we have two new chooks who have been named after Monty's great grannies. So over there is Flora and Hilda. And of course, Valerie or Lillian, depending on who you are. So, Farm Phil, we're on a frog spawn hunt. I know Ricardo's been on a frog spawn hunt. And that will be coming up later. Will he find some? But we are going to find some. So, out you get with your net. There's lots of snails and there's lots of weed. So I think we'll go to a bit that the dog hasn't been in. As they stoop over the pond, searching... There's duckweed and there's (laughs) Canadian pondweed. And there you can see another doggy track through the weed, which is rather strange, but I don't know why it's decided to go back and forth through the pond. But having said that, I can't see any frogs born yet. It's probably a bit cold yet. But it's a warm spring day. Um, well, it has been. We've had a few warm spring days. I put my sunglasses on. I know, but given the forecast, that you won't be needing them for the next few days. There's no frog spawn, that's it. But coming up in this week's show, we've got Dr Nikki Cannon back on the sofa. And if you want to read her pricey, go to the Wiggly blog, which is wigglywigglers.blogspot.com. I've popped up her pricey and her profile to you know give a bit more um, substance to these uh, claims that she's making i've put the profile and the pricey up on the blog so i hope you enjoy that farmer phil i know you've been collecting your beef yep we collected the beef for kingston Suxton primary school and i've delivered it to the kitchen this morning so emma is going to cook it up for wednesday for 150 to 200 little people and 20 rather bigger people, VIPs, who are then going to watch the children eat it. (laughs) With a a bit of luck. On that note, let's go to a Montycast, a weekly fact on a wiggliness. Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Wiggly Wigglers won the Mouston Trial Award for the best gardening podcast of both 2007 and 2008. Another Montycast... A weekly fact on wiggliness. Next week. Thanks, Monty. Now then, we're going to move over to GM. So, Nikki Cannon, Dr Nikki Cannon's back on the sofa and before we interrogate her about the GM bombshell, genetically modified organic bombshell that she put in this arena last week, she'll read us the latest review from the US iTunes. Over to you and Nikki. Says Wiggly Wigglers Rock 5 Stars by KK from California. I've just discovered your podcast and website. What an absolutely brilliant, to use Heather's words, (laughs) and creative way to send out some of the most interesting, helpful and ecological information. I have grown very fond of all of you and I feel that I am right there in your living room and traipsing your farm 
How truly glad I am to have found you and so thankful that you have followed some wiggly dream and vision to share with us. Bravo! <laughs> Carol Hendy, North Carolina. Oh. Rich is filling up. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't Thanks, try and do an American Carol. accent for you. Yes, could you? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeehaw! Very good, very nice. Okay. Now then, last week you were here and you mentioned that... As part of your study into sustainability, that you discovered the joys of GM. Now, from my point of view, what are you on about? Have you not got any idea that we must learn from past disasters? GM just means that something else will be compromised, the water will run out, something will run out. What are you thinking of? (laughs) I can't believe it. I think the organic sector's gained a lot of ground by... It's the one source of food initially that you could buy that you knew was GM-free, and that got consumers on board with buying organic food. And I think it's very good that we have an option, and obviously some of the supermarkets have followed suit, not the major ones so much. But genetically modified has come to many of us through commercial gain, which has put many people off. We've all kind of heard of Roundup Ready, Oilseed Rape, I think maybe the golden rice was one that has perhaps had a little bit more humane gain than others, which was vitamin A and rich rice. But there are many, many other uses. And we have to remember that all the varieties of wheat, barley, sugar beet, whatever we're growing, are all bred. And they've all been done using conventional plant breeding techniques. And it takes a long time for a variety to become listed that a farmer like Phil can grow it and use it on his farm. And the varieties he grows today are somewhat different from what his grandfather would have grown. They're shorter, the wheat's shorter, so he uses less chemicals now to stop it falling over. Or His grandfather didn't use chemicals, but he suffered a lot more problems of what we call lodging and loss of quality and yield through those aspects. Whereas now... With short crops, they're less likely to fall over so they can dry better and all of these issues. But you can speed up the plant breeding process and I think that genetic modification can take some of the benefits. The reason we're interested in clover is because it has benefits that it fixes atmospheric nitrogen. It's a leguminous crop, the same as peas and beans. If you dig up your peas and beans that you grow in your garden, you realise that they have little pink nodules on the roots, which are full of rhizobium bacteria. And hopefully they are pink and healthy, and that means they're taking uh, the bacteria is working to take the nitrogen out of the air. And then eventually, when they slough off, some of that goes into the plant and becomes a source of nutrition for the plant to grow. Now, it's only leguminous crops that do this, but if wheat, which is our staple food source in the UK, could fix atmospheric nitrogen in the same way, we wouldn't have to use so much synthetic nitrogen. And synthetic nitrogen is very energy-intensive to produce, and that's why it's gone up in cost a lot in the last two years, and farmers like Phil are thinking carefully, very carefully, about how much nitrogen they put on. So how much are you paying for your fertiliser at the moment, your nitrogen? Well, assuming that we actually agree to pay what they want, about two and a half times what we paid last year. But the trouble is that 
the fertiliser companies told us that uh, increased energy costs and all the rest of it were the reason, but actually it wasn't the reason at all. They just saw a chance to make a quick buck. And so I don't actually think that's Oh, the slander, moving on. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> organic farmers can't buy this fertiliser, synthetic fertiliser we're talking about. They have to rely on natural sources of fertility, like the legumes, but also farmyard manures or composts. And so they could benefit greatly from this. And I just think we need to research it very carefully to know what's going. We don't want to turn into monster wheat and that is polluting the whole countryside. But if we could save a lot of energy use along the way, it could be of great benefit. It is, it is a sound way of thinking if, it had, if there were no other associated problems with, with GM production. But the first thing people think when you talk about GM is that it essentially a bad thing because you could get mutant crops, mutant animals, cross-pollination, cross-contamination. There's the whole world of probable catastrophic or potentially catastrophic instances associated with, with the GM production. I, mean, and I, I know you're, so you are suggesting that these things, these trials should be carried out um, within the, the confines of, uh, of spaces that w- wouldn't allow cross-contamination and like, but is that possible? All plant breeding happens in confined areas and carefully monitored because otherwise varieties wouldn't be true to their, their type that they have to be. I think it's because GM has gone down the herbicide-resistant route and that means that you spray one product, normally glyphosate, and glyphosate was a very, very cheap chemical mm. up until a couple of years ago, and now it's gone up substantially in price. And people are saying, oh, if you can spray that on, and it kills everything but your target plants, mm. which was mainly being developed on oilseed rape, then, then you can understand how you could ha- have rape as a weed everywhere throughout the countryside, because there's nothing that controls it. Yeah. There would be other chemicals that would control it. And I can understand the fear of that. But by manipulating the plant in other ways, I don't think it quite has the fear of rampaging through the countryside. And you have to remember that wheat self-pollinates. So it's oilseed rape is an open pollination. Mm. And so you're looking, or normally, and so you're looking for cross-pollination. And, and we have many wild types of plants that are related to oilseed rape. And wheat is related to grass, but it doesn't cross with grass ever. Right. So in some ways it's more confined. Now how can you possibly weigh up the thought that, you know, you've talked to us about organic and you've talked about how if you were going to be a farmer you would want a niche product and uh, the biodiversity and the difference between, you know, different breeds of plants and animals is important. And then say oh, let's go down the genetically modified route, because you and I both know that then there will be a bandwagon and everybody will have the same sort of crop and there will be a competition of who can produce the most. And won't that lead to all those spin-off effects where, oh, we haven't got enough water, oh, now the chemical company's in charge of our farm, now nobody is valuing the rare breeds, the diversity, and so it goes on. Why do we not learn that we need that diversity? Why would we possibly start on this route? But do you honestly believe that we have such diversity at the moment? If you grow wheat, there's... 15 varieties or something on the recommended something list. Like that. And probably four of those varieties account for 60% of the wheat grown. So there's very little genetic 
diversity between those crops already. The same with cattle. Most cattle are between Herefords, Aberdeen, Angus, Simmentals. Okay, there's more breeds involved, but the purebred rare breed lines are quite unique and specialist. So it's important that we keep gene banks, and people like HDRA have a gene bank there, and that we have those resources for the future. And some of those genes of previously forgotten varieties may prove useful in the development of new varieties that show different traits. So if you could have wheat that, uh, and there are certain varieties of wheat that suppress weeds more because they're more shady rather than upright growing, that can help reduce chemicals potentially in the long run anyway. But why go down this route? What are you trying to achieve from this? To produce more food? To make more money for the farmer? Because, you know, we went to see the cotton farmers in Indiana who had gone down the genetically modified route, they were spending more on their equipment, they were spending more on their chemicals, they were getting less return, and okay, they had you know, less weed problems, but the whole thing wasn't beneficial to people, profit, planet. And from yeah. what you've said so far, I can't see any evidence that any GM is going to be beneficial to those three elements which we all know is how we should be measuring everything these days you know we can't just go down the the profit route we can't just go down the planet route we can't just go down the people route we have to go for all three but we need to engage in discussion and that's the most important thing i'm not saying that the organic industry which has no tolerance of gm at the moment should be gm i say it needs to engage in discussion the same as conventional farmers need to be allowed to have the options to do this. And if it reduces energy usage, it is doing planet. And if it means that farmer Phil can produce profitable wheat, it's doing people as well. And what was your other one? People, people profit, planet. I think we covered all of those, didn't we? Oh, well, that's that. that. It's a complete example that my complaint that the misconceptions of consumers about organic farming because of the way it's promoted, I think the same can be said of GM, that thanks to Monsanto et al., the consumer perception of GM science is largely negative. But we have GM all around us. A lot of penicillins are produced by classic GM methods, and we're accepting of those, and we haven't got rogue bacteria ramping around the place as a result. And frankly, without new penicillins, we would be up Queer Street. And where does GM stop and start? You know, in my view, plant breeding, conventional, it is GM. You are genetically modifying the plant by selecting for different traits. And if GM, in a more scientific way, speeds that up, and you can increase resistance to diseases, you're reducing pesticide inputs. From a farmer's point of view, if you increase his profitability, that will give him money to spend. What's happened to you? Up until this very moment, you have said that you don't agree with GM and that you haven't seen the advantages of it. Because... Dr. Well, a classic, Cannon, ah, it's a classic Dr. example of communication. No, as Nikki said, it's a classic <clears throat> example of communication. You know, this kind of raising awareness and, and just sensible conversation. You know, this but discussion I between re- reasonably intelligent people. <laughs> I use the word reasonably. <laughs> I've just got to say... Just, hold on a minute, Rich. I've just got to say that I did preface my comments with... The, the misconceptions of the consumer. Uh, as a farmer, if the consumer doesn't want GM food, 
then as far as I'm concerned, I'd be pretty foolish to try and grow it because nobody'd yep. buy it. And that's why I'm against GM at the moment. And I am wary of companies like Monsanto, yes. who I can't control. <clears throat> and like you, I wouldn't want to farm under the same regime that the cotton farmers in Georgia and Tennessee were, were being subjected to because of this dominance of one company. But with those two provisos aside, GM has obviously got things to offer. Because if we're going to run out of energy and GM might sort of to some extent solve the profitability of farming problem versus the cost of doing it, if it helps the planet and and environment as a result, well, I'd be a fool to ignore that as well. And times will change. The consumer's priorities will change. And I think somebody said we're we're six meals from a a riot or something, aren't we? When they're hungry, the rules will be completely different. Rich? I think Phil's got a really good point there in the, in the fact that he says uh, when we're hungry the rules will be completely different and, and uh, you know just r- resonating the point that Nikki made that we should really start to look at and, and have more of a concerted effort into look at the creation of as much as I hate to use the expression genetically modified food because it, ultimately it will be important and if we look at it now and look at it in detail and have sufficient funding to carry out trials to ensure that there are, there are no complications in terms of reducing biodiversity and compromising our environment environment then um, then we can certainly pave the way if i if i think of of a simple incident that we've talked about previously like gray squirrels for instance we introduced gray squirrels to this country 150 years ago and now because of that really we should as human beings we should take the bull by the horns and it's ultimately our responsibility to reduce gray squirrel infestations the problems associated with with gray squirrels colonizing woodland uh, and we should do exactly the same thing with GM, really, because it's, it's, it's our responsibility. We've changed things to such an extent that we have to continue to do that, but um, amend our ways and learn from our, our, our mistakes. You know, historically, we don't want to go into things and apply certain behaviours that may cause problems in the long run. If we look at those behaviours now and recognise their significance and ensure that they're absolutely fine and then they won't affect things, other things detrimentally, then... He's converted. <laughs> I've done it. I'm not. Welcome no, to no. the real world, Dad. Ricardo. Yeah, yeah but, but what I'm saying is, yeah, but Phil, you, you, tend to, you tend to have a kind of knee-jerk reaction, which is that farmy sentiment that wants to... Uh, that worries about being... Um, What's the word? Worries, you, 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 you tend to worry about being criticised and, and consequently ah, you're, 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 on the, you're on the back heel. Defensive, OK. Now, um, little Mrs Consumer is sat on the floor by the wood burner. Her name is Heather Gorringe. Now, how am I going to trust any of you lot that GM is OK? Because where is our research organisation? Exactly where right. Where am I going to, ch- to trust the chemical company... I am not. And the point so, is, Nikki, what is your uh, what is your solution? Who? Yes, goodbye, Farmer. Nikki, what is your solution to who do we trust, and where is the research going to happen? We have some good research stations, as John Innes, and we need to have research before they come in in wide scale grown agriculture or horticulture. You're already, or many people are already consuming GM without knowing about it in tomatoes. If they buy a ready made pizza, there's a good chance that it's GM. It's not the attitude that it hasn't done us any harm yet, but why are you so scared of harm when you're not... If you eat a packet of crisps or smoke a cigarette, you're not so scared of harm. And ah, uh, ah, You've misunderstood me. 
as Mrs. Consumer, I'm not particularly worried that the GM-modified food will harm me. What I'm worried about is that I do not trust farmers or chemical companies or the government not to have absolutely wrecked the environment and then wake up after 20 years and say... I'm so sorry we didn't realise that this, that and the other was going to happen. I'm not worried about eating it. I'm sure that, you know, I'm eating it every day. It's in soya. I've got to address the point that within the last 10 years, our current government have taken pretty much all the independent research and development money away from those that did it, the DEFRA-funded bodies that did independent research, and they've spent it on pointless people wandering around making sure that I don't cut my hedges in the end of July. Oh, no, now it's a party political broadcast. It's not a party political broadcast. Conservative party. As if we didn't know you were going to vote No, it's not a party party political (laughs) thing, but the point is that Mrs Consumer has a vote, and if Mrs Consumer wants independent research, then she should vote for the politicians that give her that and spend the money in the way they want it spent. With no independent research, you're only left with farmer research or chemical company research. I'm crossing you off the podcast now for being party political. You're now banished with your blue mug to a blue hole. <laughs> I think we're going to have huge concerns about funding everything, whether it's our children's education in light of current economic situations. And so it's important that we understand what's going on and that Mrs Consumer... But organisations like LEAF, which stands for Linking Environment, Environment and, farming. and Farming... Yes, thank you, Thamil. Um, <laughs> by them gauging what they think of it and helping people with developing a viewpoint and things like Open Farm Sunday when people go out and see what's going on. If farmers are prepared to open their farms and show what's going on, it shows they're proud of it and they should be proud of what they're doing. It's just a shame that the, our average farmer is 58 years old and... 63 most, now, Oh, is it 63? <laughs> He's got older. <laughs> it tends to be the slightly younger people who are prepared to communicate because those older people, people were more connected with land when they were younger and doing that job. They didn't need to tell people so much, but the disconnection needs to be addressed. And so we conclude this by that brilliant song, Bring Back That Love and Feeling. Oh, whoa, that love and feeling. Would there, wouldn't there be someone to, uh, to argue, though, to sit here and say, well, GM is definitely a bad thing and there's absolutely no way that we should, uh, we should allow it under any grounds whatsoever? I mean, I'm sure there must have been, but you must have had arguments with people to say, uh, certainly, certainly all, organic. I was very, farm. very anti-GM because I just saw the Monsanto projected image up until a couple of years ago when I started to realise that there was other options. We'd, it, we'd only scratch the tip of the iceberg and um, when you put it in context of current plant breeding mm. you realise that the differences are there but they're not so much what people... The problem is of course there's just so many contradictions in everything aren't there and this is, this is the, the problem people have is getting to the right information that they need. You know you, you talked about uh, John Innes being a good uh, research association and of course they are but I mean up until recently and, and as far as I know possibly even now they've condoned the use of peat and lots of compost yes, you know and, yes. and ultimately the, the destruction of 
tens of thousands of hectares of, yeah. of raised mire, which is the most wonderful environment uh, imaginable. So, so it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And, and of course, all these little bits of information just get thrown out into the ether and people are only able to get at those little bits of, of info, really, and they're not able to, to recognise the whole picture. And we don't have enough debates like this, do we? But there aren't enough news nights with sufficient people with different appreciation and good appreciation of the right uh, and the right information that convey their messages to the average punter. Let us know what you think. If you want to email us, you can email farmerphil, pwg at lowerblakemail.co.uk, ricardo, richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk, or me, heather, at wigglywigglers.co.uk. And I'm sure I can pass on to Nikki any comments that you send in. I'm sure you'd be quite interested. No hate mail, please. (laughs) (laughs) No, no hate mail. Oh, no, no. Our listeners are very reasonable, nice, kindly folk. And so if we've changed your opinion at all, let us know that too. Or if you're even more annoyed and shouting at your iPod as you cycle down the road, then tell us that too. There we are. Now then, Farmer Phil, everyone has been emailing in. Thank you, listeners, for your listenership and also for your feedback. And we've had lots of emails saying, How's the cows? How is the cows, Farmer Phil? The cows appear to be a lot better. They appear to have got over whatever the problem that they were suffering was. And, you know, we've reacted, we've done all the tests... It's difficult to know why we had the problem and nobody can really tell us, but hopefully we're out of the woods and they're happy cows. On the subject of woods, yet another heather link. Let's follow Ricardo, who lives in the wood, out of the wood, to his pond to search for frog spawn. Having been down to see my old mate Terry Walton yesterday and seen all the frogs in his pond of which there were hundreds crammed into a relatively small space the ducks just taking off my pond down in the paddock I'm just going to check out to see whether the frogs are spawning in here that's a very spring like suddenly weather's changed you you can hear the woodpeckers drumming in the background everything seems so much chipper than it was last week all that dreadful snow and the like I come down to the edge of the pond. Last year, the frogs spawned. The panda has only been here, oh, golly, it would be two years, I think, now. And um, you'd think, having looked at it, it would have been here for 20-odd years. It's so well colonised already, full of reed mace and common rush and marigolds and flag iris and whatnot. I mean, obviously, I've kind of put a few bits and pieces in here, but a lot of this stuff, for some reason, somehow, ended up in here, either on the... Uh, attached to a duck's foot or or possibly through the ephemeral stream that feeds upon but I'm not sure but as I'm looking closely now I can't see can't see any frog spawn at all yet it's an interesting thing they don't always turn up at the same time ah that's amazing just under my foot I've just stood down here right at the edge of the pond I'm straining to see into it and a little fat plop just to my right and there's a lovely plump frog with his beady eyes poking out of the water that's a she I think a lovely little plump female on her own though it's completely on her tod 
Hopefully the ducks won't have scoffed all the other frogs. They don't use there she goes, she's just plummeted underneath the ranunculus that the pond is full of. I can't see any spawn at all. It may be that she's the earliest. It tends to be though that you find the male frogs turning up at a pond first and waiting in ambush for the females. So as they can quite literally lynch her when she when she turns up. But Nope, don't seem to be any here at all. I'm just going to go and wander around, see if I can see any on the other side of the pond. Nope, no frog spawn at all. I think it's possibly just too early then. That one chunky female is waiting for some uh, for some mates to come along and, and do their thing. But I'm sure this time last year there was, there was frogs born in here. But, you know, it's early days yet. And this pond, because it's not been established that long, quite literally only been here for, for less than 12 months when they spawned in here last year, it might take some time for a large colony to establish itself and be confident enough to come in and and uh, and start to um, to spawn on mass, so to speak. We shall see. It's a funny thing. When I was a kid, I used to spend so much time at this time of the year with my mates looking for frog spawn, and we'd come. You know, go and gather buckets full of the stuff and bring it home, put it in the ponds at home. And uh, my mate was uh, tadpole husbandry skills were second to none. He had so many tadpoles in his pond. He used to hang little strips of, of liver on the end of, uh, of cotton on a pole over the pond and then of course all the tadpoles would stuff their faces on this on this liver and grow big and strong and and, uh, and emerge from the pond quite early because obviously they had sufficient food in order to develop quite quickly. And the reason, of course, he put the liver on the string was so they could take it out as soon as it started to, to deteriorate, you know. When it got a bit manky, he could take it out and put some fresh liver in there. So it worked an absolute treat. But of course, these days, we, all the advice is that you shouldn't really take frog spawn from one pond and put it into another because there, there is a chance, of course, of spreading a particularly nasty virus that uh, frogs seem to be succumbing to, certainly down in the southeast part of the country, where um, they start sort of hemorrhaging from various points of their body and their feet and, and, and limbs quite literally rot off, and, uh, and they die a very protracted death in certain instances. Very unpleasant and a little bit worrying. Possibly no one really knows how the virus got into the country, but as you can imagine, I'm sure it's imports of sorts. Some unfortunate virus attached to a, a goldfish that's been imported from North America or Israel or something like that. Yeah, poor old froggies. And they are quite literally the snack food of, of most of our predatory creatures. Everything likes to eat frogs. And without them, there would be a real gap in the food chain. Yeah, that woodpecker in the distance thumping away. Well, that's it. It's a beautiful morning, so long may this mild weather last. I can't wait for summertime. So, for another week from the Wiggly Sofa, we'd like to say goodbye, but just to warn you, you'll notice another year's gone by and we're busy putting our spring catalogue together, so we'll see you the week after next. If you would like to contribute to the Wiggly blog, go to wigglywigglers.blogspot.com or come to our Facebook group or 
go to our website and buy loads of stuff. There's tons of new products, tons and tons and tons. Oh, there's some lovely new colours of goat socks. Oh, they're lovely rhubarb and natural. What else is there? There's an eco cooler. Oh, there's lots of stuff. Bye. <laughs> Bye from me. <laughs>